This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we are joined by Josh Basset to begin a series on the tabernacle of Exodus and the parallels it has to the creation story, turning those principles into tangible practices. The Basset Anthology. We've made it to another one, Brent. I, I think I should maybe clarify what I just said in the intro. We are not turning the spiritual principles of the creation story into tangible practices. <laughs> the tabernacle is what did that. And you could you could read what I said that way, but you could also read it unfavorably with a bad eye. That's true. Making us... Nobody would do that to us, Brent. Nobody would read us with a bad eye. I hope people don't think that we think that we're more important than we are at this point. I hope we've made it clear. Well, that, that's the thing, Brent. Well, what, what we'll be learning is that the, there's not actually much of a difference between those things. We, we, the, the Mishkan is oh. there. The tabernacle is there to do it so we can do it, too. That's the, that's the point. That's the Woo. kind of redemption that we are about on the Bama podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, God's not interested in building cool little dioramas. God's God's always about All something right. more. So, All right. I like this. Well, I rescind everything I said then. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you get to edit this, so that's that's entirely No, no, cool. we're leaving this conversation in. It's, it's <laughs> beautiful. Right, it's beautiful. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this series, we're going to uh, dive deeper into an, an idea that I, I'm pretty sure the podcast has talked about before, which is that the... Um, the creation of the tabernacle parallels very exactly the uh, the creation story found in Genesis one. Um, we've talked about that before, right? Absolutely, it was key, and I'm glad we're we're starting there. I, I like that. Mm-hmm. We, one of the things we appreciate about Josh is he comes in and he says, "We talked about this." <laughs> and and almost let's make it so much better. And I just love it. It makes me so giggly. So. Uh, yes, that is what we said. And now we're going to take it somewhere even more beautiful. Yes. So uh, n- normally, just to kind of give the, the audience a peek behind the curtain, I, I have I may have even mentioned this in <laughs> our Tobu episode. Was that a pun? Uh, no, that'll be a pun <laughs> for next episode. <laughs> um, so I, I may have mentioned this in our, our Tohu Vavohu episode, but... Uh, uh, I, I've taught this material before. It's, it's different now that I've been looking at it with new eyes, you know, probably more than five years later. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, nevertheless, I went through this, uh, this material before in a study and it was really, really, uh, deep and impactful, which is one of the reasons why, uh, this was my go-to, um, for my anthology. But, uh, that teaching took, uh, me, uh, I, I took a small group with it through an entire summer, um, we spent 14 weeks dissecting all this stuff. So there's a lot of stuff I'm going to be skimming over. And to do that, I'm going to try and keep myself to a pretty, um, not rigid, but like a, a rhythm, a pretty tight rhythm. And so we're first going to dip into the the day of creation. And I'm going to, this is where I'm going to have to like summarize a lot. So if you have any questions about how I get to the conclusions I get to, you know, you can, you you know where to find me. You can email me. You can, you can find me on Slack. I'm not going to hesitate to stop you if it's me. If I have questions, going to be like, all right, hold on. 
<laughs> That's fine. Well, we'll get into the rabbit trails, but just there's a lot of stuff we could be talking about yeah, in Genesis true. 1 that I'm going to be summarizing as much as possible. I'm not going to be waxing as eloquent because the real, like, as cool as those spiritual principles are, and I think there's, like, there's so much storytelling going on even beyond what we've already uncovered in Genesis 1. There's, mm-hmm. like, just more and more and more layers. Um what what I'm looking for is to to look at how in Exodus, when uh, literally when Moses goes up the mountain, the very first thing God talks to him about is this. We're going to read the first thing God has to say to Moses when they're alone on the mountaintop speaking face to face. And um, and looking at like, first of all, like kind of uncovering why that why this is the most important thing to God and mm. what that tells us about how to incarnate these things, which I think is Jesus followers should pretty much always be our, our agenda. You know, how do we incarnate it? How can mm. we, how can we make this real? So without further ado, I'm in, uh, unless, I'm ready. Unless, okay. Yeah. All right. Brent, let her rip. Let's, let's, uh, let's hear it with the, the Bershid Barah Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Yep. That's it. That's the very beginning of the whole thing we call the Torah. And what we're going to be doing, like the way I'm going to kind of dissect this so it's neat and it doesn't get into too many rabbit trails is we're just going to boil this down to the most like rudimentary literary chunks. So like, what are the, what are the elements of this story? What is God interacting with and how is God interacting with it? So, you know, I think this one is pretty obvious. What are the two story elements here outside of God? I'm going to assume Light and darkness. Don't know if I'd throw water in there too, but like light and darkness seem to be the dominant ideas here. Mm-hmm. Yep we we could we could get into the water, but that again that would lead into rabbit trail. So yeah, light and darkness. That's what this day is all about. And then how does God interact with each of these? With the darkness, God is hovering, right? Merachefet, as we mm-hmm. once talked about. Yep. And then what is God doing with light? Like how does God? engage with light he names it calls it into being yeah i like that name yeah that's true he he calls it into being first but then he names it yes and this is this is the first um moment of god's speech and and as we'll see through the rest of the creation story like god god does a lot of creating by saying like hey let this happen let that happen this is the only time where it's like this um this like intimate and pure of god saying let there be light and there was light in the Hebrew, it's literally Vayomer uh, Elohim Yehior Vayahior. It's like there's this kind of perfect mirroring Yehior Vayahior. Like it just uh-huh. happened. It's like pure expression. It's not this God talking to different parts. It's not building on something God already created. This is this is something new. And then, um, then like what kind of happens towards the end of that? Like, obviously we have the naming. We're not going to get too much into the naming of the days because th- that would also lead us on a rabbit trail. But what happens with dark and light? What else does God do with them? Like as a unit? Well, he seems to put them in like uh like, so light has a place and darkness has a place. There's going mm-hmm. to be day and night. Exactly. Exactly. We have separation, but not just separation. It's not like they're just put in two different buckets. Uh, they, they work in a cycle. There's a, there's a relationship between them and he orders them. Yes. Yes. Brings order to them. 
so in that, God is creating a, a kind of dance between light and darkness. It's not just, oh, there was light and that was awful. Here's, or oh, sorry, <laughs> let me try that again. Uh, there was dark and God said, oh, that's awful. Let's get some light in here. And then we just move on with the universe full of light. Both are maintained and uh, they mm-hmm. become, not only do they become part of a cycle for all of creation, but they even become part of this literary cycle because every single mm-hmm. day of creation be, uh, ends with evening, morning. It, mm-hmm. it, this mm-hmm. is, uh, to me, the text is saying what's happening in day one is seen in every single day. It's like the foundational building block of where we're going to get creation started. We we won't have creation without this tension that we have turned into the parameters of the whole thing. Right. Exactly. Now let's let's go back through now. Now that we have kind of the elements laid out, we have God hovering over darkness, God speaking light into existence, and then God bringing these things into a kind of a cyclical dance. So. For like, for for a human being, just like a human being, contrary to what we normally do with uh, with Bema, like just a human being ripped out of context, just a little naked guy out in the wilderness. Like, what does what does darkness and light mean to that guy? Like, darkness is well. I mean, we could say it's dangerous. We could say it's it's not advantageous. But really, he can't he can't see anything, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't know what's around him. Mm-hmm. It's the time of sleeping because you really can't, I mean, you don't have a whole lot else at your disposal. Right, exactly. The sleeping is there, yeah, like you said, kind of as a as a default, because it's like, eh, what else are you going to do? Um, and But we also have a lot of fear there because we just, we don't know. We don't know what's out there. And uh, like when I was thinking about the theme of this episode, the theme is truth, but like not truth as we normally talk about it in like Greek Hellenistic Socratic ideal. Like there's one correct thing. It's relational truth. And when you're in darkness, you don't have any kind of sense of your relationship to the things. You don't know if there's a cliff edge two feet in front of you. You don't know if there's a predator out in the bushes. You just, you don't know. You don't know what time it is. Yep. Yeah. on, On that idea of relationship, I was, when you first said, what are the two elements of this story? My first thought was you have, like, as the NIV separates it, you have two paragraphs. And that first paragraph is like a scene setting. And then the second paragraph mm-hmm. is God entering the scene. But now that I'm oh, now yeah. that I'm looking at it again in that context, it's like, no, God was already in the scene. He was hovering over the waters. Or the spirit mm-hmm. of God was hovering over the waters, if you want to make that um, Trinitarian distinction, I guess. Um, and so it's not really God entering the scene, but it is God bringing the scene to life in that he he speaks he breaks the silence he so i don't yeah i don't yeah there's there's a lot of like interconnected relationship going on here with these parts of the story too yes absolutely and uh not only that like think about what what god's interaction is saying to that person in the dark like in this when we jump into this tangible version of this story like God's saying, okay, you can't see anything around you. You don't know which way is up. We could make this more broadly applicable to our lives today. Like when you don't know what's going on around you, when you are like, don't have any idea what your relationship is with other people or with the world or what the future looks like. God is telling you that God's there. God's hovering above it. You may not be able to reach out and 
and touch it. You may not be able to positively see it, but nevertheless, God wants you to know that. And I think that's important for understanding the next thing God does, which is that God brings light into existence with speech, which like if I'm thinking about this God character creating everything, um, you know, we have darkness here. Um, we could, we could ask the question, well, how did the darkness get there? Obviously like whatever we mean by darkness, if there's anything separate from God, God created it, right? Like that's, that's just good, solid theology. So why did God create the darkness and like not really talk about it and gloss over it and then spend all this time talking about bringing light into existence? Like when we think about speaking, like what is, what is speech? If we're going to get really philosophical here, what is speech? The words behind them. It's the incarnation of an idea. Yeah. And, and the idea, the reason why you have to get it out with speech is because it's inside of, it's inside of you and, and they can't see inside of you. So it's, it's, it's self-expression. It's you. Yeah. Bringing something inside of you out. It's self-disclosure. So it's like God saying like, Hey, I know you're, I know you're in this, you know, big nasty world and it's dark and it's scary and you don't always know what's happening and I'm with you. But if you want to know about me, I bring light. That's who I am. Yeah. Like I, I, there's this darkness too. I created all of it. I created the predator in the night. I created the day night cycle. Like I, I did do all that. But if you really want to know who I am, it's light. I'm trying to bring light. I'm trying to help you see the truth of, Oh, look, this is a, this is a, a little rocky outcropping. I can find some shelter under there. Oh, I can look at these berries and see if they're poisonous or not. You know, that sort of stuff like that. This is God saying really clearly, like, you know, this, this part is me. You, there's a lot in creation. Like, you know, we, a lot of people, uh, you know, in philosophy, we talk about the, the, the problem of evil, but it's, it's really foundational to, us as humans, like, you know, good God, I want to believe in that bad things happen. What's up with that? And this is God like addressing that. And again, like not in a logical way, in a relational way, God saying like, yeah, those other things exist. I'm still there, but that's, that's not me. That's not what I, what I want in the world. If I get to bring what I want into the world, it's light. It's, it's understanding. Well, even if like, like as you say that, but even even God speaking, bringing light, also brought order to the darkness. Like prior to this, mm-hmm. like I've heard I've heard Summer Binnick thought talk about like the Tohu Vavohu was like this unseparated. It was light and darkness. It was just chaos. It was everything together, and so not so like it wasn't that it was darkness that existed before day one. It was chaotic, crazy tohu vavohuness oh, sure. that existed, and by God bringing light, not only is light the goodness, but it also orders the darkness. Yes, so that there's Absolutely. a structure to that that relationship. Even that is somewhat. I mean, if I'm think if I'm considering a cosmos and chaos, even the construct of light and darkness in a dance is, I don't, I don't know if reassuring. Oh yeah. But it, it speaks it speaks peace to like light isn't just the light itself, it's that the light also 
It also orders everything that's not light yes. by its mere presence and the, the cycle that God creates. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I, I actually really want to stress that because those are two both two individual things, I think. It's not just light equals order, and when we have light, we have order. Like, on a fundamental human level, there's a reason why we normally associate light with good things, and it bec- it's because it helps us. Like, more than anything, we're primarily visual, and if we can... If we can see something, we can understand it. We can we can have that truth relationship with it a little bit better. Hold on. Hold on, Josh. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> because if I think of like somebody hearing this story for the very first time, and you hear a story that starts with chaotic craziness, mm-hmm. like how, how many of us today even, like not even some primitive person hearing Genesis 1 for the first time, but you think about just existence and life and struggle, and you're like, chaos. Oh yeah, I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. But God comes and speaks light and order and dance into that. Like, I, 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 d- I just had to slow down and not run past that. I think there's this, What what's, I mean, we've talked about this before, but what's ultimately true about the universe? Mm-hmm. Is it chaotic craziness? And I love that you 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 made the observation, Brent did as well, that God's art was already present in the chaos. It's not like God became present when light became present. Yes. It's that God was already present no matter what was here. But when God started to create a world that we live in, he he brought some sense of of order and and beauty into this this uh, and I love the word dance. I'm just going to keep saying dance, so I'm just going to stop and let you get back to what you were saying. <laughs> wow. And, and I'm also thinking like the, the idea of God's voice, like his spirit is there, mm-hmm. but it's just hovering mm-hmm. and there's, there's darkness and like, yes, there is a visual element to light and darkness, but the God's presence is really represented at that point by his speech. Yeah, absolutely. And the idea of voice being so important Mm-hmm. throughout the rest of scriptures and, and like of course because that's how god first like manifested his presence in a more like again spirit of god was hovering it's not like he wasn't there but like the first like the most concrete manifestation of his presence at that point was his voice speaking into creation yes and then you know at the end of the story god's image appears in the creation through the the man and woman he created Mm -hmm. but god's still not there in that same like tangible sense like it's still about his voice at that point yeah so absolutely uh, yeah i don't even i don't even know but i'm i'm just reeling about the idea of like i guess i don't i don't know that i never i never consciously considered that those were god's first words because it's like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's like, okay, well, God's already doing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's what it seems like. But then when you step back, it's like, no, he didn't actually say anything until, until verse three. And so it's like, ah, mm-hmm. so yeah, I've, I have all sorts of, <laughs> my mind is also being blown at this point. So <laughs> I don't have any real coherent thoughts, but I just have lots of things running through my mind right now. Rabbit yeah, trails I mean, indeed. See- 
Exactly. You can see how this is so hard to, to get through quickly. Um, luckily this one is going to be a little shorter than future ones. So we, we have the, we have the margin to do this, but, um, <laughs> that was Josh's way, Brent, of telling us, don't do this next episode, guys. <laughs> I mean, no, we're, we're going to do it next episode. I, I can't help it either. Uh, <laughs> we'll just go long. <laughs> um, but, uh, going back to what you kind of started feeling out, Marty, about like, it's not just like like there's also order that comes with it. I'm I, I want to prize those two things apart because th- this is a distinction I'm getting at. Uh, like we've just been talking about, God's first self-expression being light tells us about who God is. Now, uh, to God, you know, light and dark it doesn't really affect God all that much. Like, I mean, it doesn't the scripture say that darkness is like light to God? So you know. This isn't for God. Why does God put this into an order? The order, the dance, when we think of a dance, a dance is partnership, right? Right. Two parties. The dance is what allows us to get our hands around light and dark. It isn't God just coming in and saying, oh, there we go. I fixed everything. I turned the lights on. It's God inviting us to participate in in wrangling creation, in wrestling with it, in figuring out how to ride that rhythm. You know what I'm saying? I do love the word participation. Yeah, there we go. And and not only that, uh, the other thing I want to throw in here, especially when, since we've been talking about light, is that uh, vision is what connects uh, God sees that it's good, right? When we have God's light, we can actually recognize what's good around us. When we're in times that are chaotic, I'm not sure if any of you've noticed that in the past couple of years when things have been kind of chaotic, but sometimes it's hard to know the difference between things that are good and things that are bad and things that you're just doing out of habit and things that you're actually doing intentionally because you actually want or need to do those things. You know, it's, it's a lot harder to distinguish when everything's just crazy all the time and you're just surviving from one moment to the next. And it's only when you have that light and that ability to recognize and say, Oh, this is good. That's, that is, I think kind of what God is framing light as like, it's not just some practical thing. Mm -hmm. It's God says, I want you to see, so you can see what is good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we have this painting, you know, uh, very similar to everything we've talked about with the story. God made creation good. God wants us to see the goodness of creation. God is inviting us to see that both in the darkness and in the light. We're, we're being in, invited to to partner. Like all these things that, you know, to any BAMA listener should just be like, you know, you, you probably filled out your bingo card by now. But uh <laughs> now we're going to do the we're going to get into the real juice we're going to get into the real juice and we're going to see how these ideas are expressed in the mishkan which is the uh the name for the tabernacle the mishkan which literally means dwelling place and uh i'll be using that word a lot so get used to it mishkan we're going to go and look at the mishkan the very first thing that God wants to talk to Moshe about when Moshe treks up Mount Sinai. And uh, that's going to be in Exodus 25. So Brent, why don't you take it away? Um, I was actually listening to the Bible Project. Uh, they, had, they had a series on Exodus and three of the episodes covered the tabernacle. Mm. And they were talking about the parallels with Genesis 1. Um, but they were talking about the idea of... 
um, the garden. Well, there there was Eden mm-hmm. being the larger area, and then there was a garden in Eden, mm-hmm. and then there was the tree in the center. And then they were talking about the Sinai experience of the Israelites being at the mountain and then the small group going halfway up the mountain and mm. then Moses going all the way up the mountain. You know, actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. It, it's, it's not going to be so important for this particular episode, but it's going to be very important for this, this uh, series as a whole. So I, I do want to, that's a great thing. Well, I'll link that episode too, if anyone wants to listen to it. Oh yeah. I'm sure they've got some great stuff that would probably, if, if I, if I had the, uh, the presence of mind to steal from them, it, it would have made this better. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> well, see, alas. they have, they have their <laughs> podcast, which is like hour long episodes going into great detail, mm-hmm. um, like we do here, but they also have their much more succinct videos that are, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I honestly don't know how they can boil things down into the, into the 10 minutes that they do. It's uh, a, a work of art to do that. <laughs> it's a skill. Those are talented guys are there with some great insights. But the, the thing I want to talk about is, yeah, like there is kind of a, a sort of fractal aspect to everything we're going to talk about here. So it's like, we, we could, we could look at Mishkan, for example, we could look at this as like a communal thing, right? And we could also look at it as an individual thing. And those things both work. And we could look at this as like, oh, there's a relationship between God and Moses and Moses and the people, or we could look at it as the relationship between, you know, like we've talked about before, there's the high priest and the priest and the Levites and the people and then the Gentiles. There's so many, like, there's so many ways you could divide up these relationships and these principles bear out regardless of where you divide those. Like we could talk about all this stuff as how we have a conversation with the world, like as a Christian body or as a, uh, uh, we could talk about it as like how we as individual spiritual communities do this with the place that we're in or how you do this in individual relationships. Like in that same way, these things kind of all reflect that. So, so to go back to what you were saying, Brent, like what we're going to see in here is so many, so many divisions, like, next, oh yeah, I'll get into next episode, next episode, but there's so many ways you could divide things that will, uh, create kind of like this, um, yeah, this relationship that can be reflected in a lot of different directions. So that's just something to keep in mind for all of this, particularly when we get to the areas that talk about the priests, because that kind of gets into spiritual authority and we'll talk about that then, but yeah, that's a great great thing we touched on there. Yeah. Just mentioning Exodus 25 and Moses, you know, going up the first thing that he hears from God, it's like, if, if there's anything that Bema has taught me, it's like, okay, well, what was going on before this? It's like, well, even the lead up to this story actually reflects the Genesis one story. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yep. Anyway, Exodus 25 then. Yep. Well, let's get into it. The Lord said to Moshe, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. 
make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. All right. So there's not a ton to talk about here. I, I think this chunk here, uh, kind of like what you were saying, Brent, there's this little preamble in Genesis 1 where it talks about like kind of God created the heavens and the earth and there's the tohu and the bohu and all that stuff. This is kind of the the setup for it. But um, one thing I just wanted to point out in particular is uh, there's a, a particular uh, Hebrew word uh, toward the end when he's, uh, God's saying should make the tabernacle according to the design that I'll show you, the design of the tabernacle, the design of all its specific vessels. And the Hebrew word is tavnit, tavnit. And I'll probably include that in the uh, uh, little image of that in the uh, uh, presentation. Uh, but it, it'll be important for this episode because that word we, um, I mean, I guess no one's probably reading their Bible in Hebrew, but if you are props to you and pay attention when that word comes up again, cause it'll, it'll, it'll give us a little bookend just to throw that out there. Um, but if but you the, are good work, yeah, I, I, uh, I'd love to know more about your situation. That would be cool. Um, uh, are there any other thoughts that hit you guys? I didn't want to cut off this, this part of the text. Um, I think there's some interesting things we could dive into here. I don't, I don't necessarily want to for the sake of time and because it's kind of a drier passage, but is there anything that stuck out? Uh, I mean, I, I was just connecting it to the preamble in Genesis and I was wondering, my mind was just going in a million directions about they're getting ready to create something they're having to pull the pieces together that they're going to order, separate, fill with. Mm-hmm. They need offerings. Like my brain started going like, okay, what about what about this idea of the divine council and the angelic beings that are with God at creation? Oh, sure. Are they the ones that are bringing things as he starts to call order into chaos? Yeah. I, I was just, it does fit to me. Like it feels like, okay, this is the same energy. It's the same kind of preamble. Mm-hmm. I'm tracking with that absolutely. Here, uh, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Marty on you. What if we What if we had that same relationship? We read it the same direction the Bible goes. What if so? God God starts creation right, and there's all this chaos, and here we get this just list of ingredients. We don't know how any of it's going to go together. Like, what if that's the chaos that God has? God just you know pops all this stuff into existence, and then is slowly ordering it and that's what makes things chaotic in the same way that we see all this and we're like okay what we've got metal we've got yarn we've got skins we've got wood like you know this is a lot what's this going to become and not only that the uh, one other thing i want to point out with this is that they talk about this being a, a raised up portion and so what that indicates here is that this is all voluntary giving and I think as we start this, it's really important to talk about that um, because like this is this is God doing a new thing to create a radically new kind of partnership in the world. And as we're going through this, as we talk about like really tangible stuff, I don't want anyone to get into the mindset of like, oh, this is this is the way this is like my obligation to drop everything and do this now. And I rather I think like you know, I, I think we all, to some extent, would want to do this at some level, but we are only supposed to bring what we feel called to bring. Like we, we, we use the ingredients we have, we bring what we feel 
would make the space that God's calling us to make. So just to throw that out the beginning, this is not supposed to be some big overarching, like obligatory thing. This is just supposed to be a, you know, I know we get a lot of questions about uh, the very popular episode about making space for God. That's what we're getting into here. This is the nitty gritty of literally making space for God. Right. Sure. So that's the mindset I want everyone to have. Not, not like this is the, this is the most essential recipe, but rather like this is God inviting us to see God, God uh, inviting us to like cheat off the notes of like creation. I'm like, okay, this is what it would look like in our context. The one thing that I, that stuck out to me was, um, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Yes. Yeah. That, that pattern is the word Tavnit Mm -hmm. that I was talking about. What's your question there? I, I just like, I'm just trying to imagine what this was like for Moshe as he's, it's not like, it's not like God is taking to him to an entirely different tabernacle. That's like, sure. It's not like he's taking him into the future. Like here's, here's how it's going to be. Make sure you build it like this. It's a pattern. It's different. It's not, uh, it's not exactly what it's going to be, Mm -hmm. but it's, yeah, I'm, I'm just, yeah. I'll tell you that when we get to the end of the chapter, when this word comes up again, it will be a lot clearer about why God is, is so, I mean, God uses the word twice, like why God is so hung up on Moses, like following the pattern exactly. There's a reason for that. Well, and the Hellenistic school is going to make a, a bunch of mileage out of this. And I mean, they're going to actually push against that idea and say that is a lot of what Moshe's experience was. I mean, that's Hellenistic Judaism later, but that's what the book of Hebrews plays off of when it talks about a, an earthly tabernacle oh, sure. modeled yeah. after a heavenly model and a heavenly pattern. Like, I think they would make the case that Moshe very well had a mystical experience where he saw a much more, and of course they're working with Plato and the idea of forms and yeah. he got to get a glimpse of the heavenly reality and then depict it in an earthly way. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just like, for me, my experience is like we go to Masada and they have a scale model of Masada at Masada. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, I think Hellenism is going to argue a bit like, and I guess this is later. This isn't where Josh is going, but just to be like, oh, don't don't shut that thought down and and be like, well, that's definitely not what's going on. I I think what you picture there is what at least at some points of history Judaism is going to say. No, that's that's the right kind of image. That's the right kind of idea. Yeah, but I'm interested to see what Josh does with Tavnit at the end. Well, and, and yeah, yeah, stick around for the end of the episode, Marty. <laughs> But uh, I don't plan on going anywhere. <laughs> One other thing, Brent, is that like a lot of times, uh, the like the the entire tabernacle. Uh, rabbis talk this talk about this a lot. Um, Marty was telling me David Foreman has stuff about this um, about the uh, the tabernacle being a body, like it it, it kind of describing a, a kind of life form um, or being a replica of a human body. Um, and so I, I think when I. Th- think about it in those terms is like, this isn't just about like a, a architectural blueprint. That's uh, kind of what I'm trying to tap into here is like, we're not just talking about like 
how to measure your two by four so you get your your Mishkan right. This is about like what is actually going on behind this because God cares about this space. I don't think it's about you know making sure they have the uh, an accurate measuring tape and good like engineering skills. I think there's something else going on here, and that is what God's telling Moses like don't lose this, don't lose this uh, the, these essential functioning parts. Um, and that's where I'm going to be going with this. So if we want to dive into it, uh, let's start in verse 10. Okay. Have them make an arc of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. There, above the cover between the two cherubim, that are over the Ark of the Covenant Law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Okay, so if we're thinking... I don't really know that we really need to talk much about this. Like, Steven Spielberg already took care of it in Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark, so <laughs> oh, let's sure. just move yeah, on to the next section. Definitely in terms of visuals. But no, 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 before we go on, um, if if we have this day one, you know, this kind of broken down day one story, what does the Ark correspond to? Uh, it's got to be the light, right? Maybe. Okay. Could be the light. We haven't really heard them talk about light yet, though. Well, that's true. I mean, God says he's going to give... Well, first of all, he says he's going to give them the tablets of the covenant law. But then well, at the end, actually, he says... That's, in that's between, not a super accurate translation. Okay, okay. Well, but at, I'll get at, into that in a second, though. At the end, he says, uh, above the cover between the two cherubim... I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites, which sounds like a speech related thing, but I don't know. He doesn't explicitly say he's going to speak his commands. He says he will give them the commands. Exactly. It sounded to me like the spirit hovering over the waters, like yes. over their, over the cover is where God's going to meet with them. That's what I, or my brain went. Yep. And, and we, yeah, we definitely have, you know, God's spirit, God's presence being over the, the, uh, arc here. Well, I'm going to say that's probably a translation issue in the NIV because the NAT translates it uh, over the ark. I will speak with you about all that I command for the Israelites. Ah, yes, yeah that that is a that is a translation thing. As it is with the tablets, because it, it doesn't say tablets or anything about the the covenant. Yet. It just says I will the the testimonies that I will give you, mm. um, which it's it's not bad to assume that he's talking about the testimonial tablets, but. Um, I, I'm just going to guide it toward talking about testimonies as a more general idea, mm -hmm. but NET gets that so, one right too, by the way. Oh, nice way to go. NET. 
So let's think about this. When God is hovering, when God's spirit is hovering, and in fact, we might even, you know, Merachefet has this connotation of like wings fluttering, and we have some wings present here. Mm, yes. What should be beneath God for thinking day one? The darkness. W- water. Or right? The water. Yeah. Darkness. Or, wa- dark, water. Dark yeah, okay. chaos. Yep. 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 And where would we, if we were in the tabernacle, and I said, do you think quick, there's the ark. Where's the, where's the darkness in this room? It's going to be in the box. It's inside up with the lid. box. Yep. Exactly. So what's inside the box? Well, it's got the, see, now I don't know what to say. It's got the tablets, <laughs> the testimonies. It's got the staff of Aaron. It's got the manna. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's got the, and, and all those things we could say, those are all testimonies. They all testify yeah, to something. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. And if that. we go okay. back we go back to thinking about that day one story when you're in darkness when you're inside the box and the top is closed and god's presence is hovering just just outside just on top of it to you you don't know you don't realize you're in a box that's you know made of gold and sure god's presence is there you just know it's a dark box uh. and what does god give you in there to help you reminders testimonies things that say no god was there and, and you know, we can even go into the specifics. Um, the manna, like God gave you bread. And not just God gave you bread. God gave you bread. The bread was a test about Torah. It was these commandments God gave that fulfilled themselves. It was like God saying, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, force you to be obedient. I'm trying to, like, nourish you. I'm trying to help you feed yourself. We have the staff. We have, you know, dead wood sprouting with new life. And we have... What, what tablets do we have in there, Marty? Well, I mean, we have the tablets of Torah, the Ten Commandments. But which ones? Uh, you've stumped me. I feel like Brent Billings right now. I like this. this yeah, is there's two pairs, right? Yeah. He has to remake them. Right, correct. Which goes in there, the, the broken pair or the whole pair? That's what I was trying to figure out. I'm like, I always assumed it's the first one or the second one, but it's the first. If I, I mean, I, I might, oof, I might be about to eat some crow. I am, if memory serves, it's the broken pair. And to me, at least that, that speaks because what God's reminding them of is we still have a covenant, even though you're holding broken tablets, reminding you that you broke the covenant, oof. but you still have them because I didn't call it off. Oof. And those are good testimonies right there. Yeah, exactly. When you're in the darkness, you need those, you need those testimonies to not just remember that God is there, but also like what kind of God is hovering just above you. Well, I like what you said a moment ago. If you're in the box, you don't know that you're in a, bo- a glorious box covered with gold, mm-hmm. just like when you're in the chaos of creation, like you... It's so, it's you don't know that it's actually a good creation, exactly. ordered and stewarded stewarded by God. I love I like that I like that. Although in that in that case, it is about the darkness because previously God said overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out. So the inside does have gold. Yes, but in the darkness, you don't even know that. Exactly. Yes. Right. Right. Well. That was that was rather lucky. We found some great connections there between day one. I hope the rest of this chapter continues to connect with day one. <laughs> nah, um, I bet. Let's that, go nah. ahead and and just see, <laughs> just just to, just to try it out, just to try it out. Humor me, humor me. All right, let's uh, let's keep going in verse. What are we? Twenty three. For your humor only, make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Also make around it a rim a handbreadth wide 
and put a gold molding on the rim. Make four gold rings for the table and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be close to the rim to hold the poles used in carrying the table. Make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, and carry the table with them, and make its plates and dishes of pure gold, as well as its pitchers and bowls for the pouring out of offerings. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. Mm, what was that last part? Bread of the presence. Bread of the presence. Now, does this ring any bells with day one? We don't really have bread there. Yeah, we don't have bread, but the presence absolutely. And I don't know. I have all this like, for me, the Merahefet was like this. It was explained to me as a kiss, mm. um, which I know the rabbinic conversation about the bread of the presence, the table of the presence is the, the table of faces, the panim. Like, yes, you're right. You're so close to each other in relationship that there's almost this relational kiss. Um between between faces between presences is, is and mm-hmm. that's where my brain went and yeah you're right that that word surfaces also means faces which is really important because yeah i mean uh regardless of whether we look at it as a, a kiss or not or all the those precise things it says god hovers over the the face the surface of the waters and there's darkness upon the face of the deep like yep. face and surface is all through that story so what does this add to that like this is kind of keeping us in that moment where like god's presence is with us but we're also still we still have that darkness, even if it's just deep down, like there's there's that chaos that is just kind of ruling. We're still, maybe we're still inside the box. What is God proposing here with this table? What does it do with that image? Uh, the, is it that the presence is what sustains us? Like yes. darkness or not, we're, we find sustenance. We are yes. sustained spiritually, holy by the presence of God with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, then that's where the bread comes in because the bread is your sustenance. Yep, and and it's saying like once you once you know God's presence is there, you can derive nourishment from that. And, and I know like in a lot of practical circumstances, this this may not um, this may not hold in the way that some of us might might view that. Like there's some you know we we have to uh, navigate this a little bit to understand it practically, but. When you're in chaotic situations, if you are actually, like, aware, like, not just believe, not just intellectually hold theology, but if you actually know that there is a presence that is there, that is uh, that is for you, that brings life from death, that wants to feed you, like, there is something nourishing about that. There, there is something in that that does get us through hard times, chaos. And, uh, and that's really important here. If you, if you, yada, if you, yada, the presence, if you experientially know that. And this builds upon the previous one, because the testimonies that they had were artifacts of yada. These were not just, these were not just, you know, like pieces of paper with ideas written on them. They were artifacts of, oh, this happened to me. Right. This happened to my people. We were here and this happened and this Yep. tells me about it. Yep. And that is Yada. Um, and when you have that Yada, then then God's presence is itself bread, which I mean, gosh, that also that also connects to that episode about um John six. Man. Um mm. 
about the bread of heaven. I have to go back and do a redux of the redux. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and they the Israelites would have already experienced the manna um, as like a, a bread connection with God. So, you know, even even tying it together that way, like I would hope that's already a familiar image for them. Absolutely. And I mean, <clears throat> well, you know, I won't spoil it. Well, I'll, I'll wait until we get to the, uh, the next part of this chapter, which spoiler alert is also going to, I think it's going to pretty tidily tie in with this whole, uh, I think I see this one coming. Yeah. Yeah. This one, this one's a little easier. I mean, Marty, you got the, you got the, <laughs> the table on your first try, which I, I big props for that. But yeah, Brent, take it away from verse 31. Let's see if we can, if we just happen to be able to, to find the day one influence here. We'll let Brent get this one. We'll give this, this softball yeah. to Brent. <laughs> make a lampstand of pure gold, hammer out its base and shaft and make its flower like cups, buds and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall all be of one piece with the lampstand, hammered out of pure gold. Then make its seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. There we go. All right. So, Brent. Well, I think we should maybe say at this point that we are going to, we don't necessarily have everything hammered out yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, yeah. No, I didn't even mean to do that. Uh, (laughs) We don't have the images figured out, but we are going to try to have some kind of presentation because we're, we're quickly getting into the like very repetitive, very like, Oh yeah. And like, there's, there's a purpose to that repetition, (laughs) but we do like, we do realize like, yeah, this is a little bit hard to listen to, Mm. um, in some senses. And so to have a visual to go with it. So we're going to try to find some stuff that sort of illustrates like what this might even look like, because many people have taken this and have tried to recreate it or draw it or whatever and so we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna try to find some references that you can look at to yes hopefully wrap your mind around what is happening here in a visual sense and on that note too i don't want to scare any listeners we will not be reading through every single chapter like this the, the there are there are chunks we are going to skip do not worry <laughs> uh this one in particular we are it's a little bit shorter and relatively easier to grasp than the future chapters we got coming but yeah don't worry we're not going to be slogging through this stuff um and uh but yeah with with that uh being said brent can you where where's the day one in here so this one's all about light all about light exactly from top to bottom but what else what else do we hear in the design of the menorah like i mean obviously there's a lot of that about stems and yeah buds and whatever else like without getting lost in the specifics, what was the overall like aesthetic? If you're going to try and grasp it. I think in, in the like vegetation side of it, like the, mm-hmm. it, 
it's it's a flourishing situation like buds and blossoms like yeah. it's it's active it's growing it's flourishing but um the thing that sticks out to me the most is the fact that uh god emphasizes like make it all one piece yeah these aren't like disparate pieces that we're shoving together like this is this should be one unified mm-hmm. creation so uh, i don't know if that's what you're getting at but absolutely and i mean there, there's probably a lot we could dig into that um like that that kind of speaks to its connection with god's utterance like it's a single it's a single expression it's a it's something that's whole that spreads out um but yeah um I want to go back to what you said before, though, about the uh, about the, the aesthetic. You said it was it was very organic, right? We have all these. We have buds. We have uh, branches. We have flowers. Well, and I I guess mimicking the design of Genesis one, we have three branches on one side, three branches on the other side, and then a <laughs> main branch on the top. Yes, yes. Now there, yeah, and man, I remember how I talked about earlier, like that kind of fractal nature of all this. Oh, and it's seven lamps. There's a lamp on every one. And we talked about how day one, you have the light and the darkness and Mm -hmm. that creates the day. But then that day ends up being a pattern that you see in every day of creation. And, and that's not just for day one. Like the same is true as I was going through this. It was like, Oh man, you could also like, we could probably greet, like do this whole, uh, thing again might not be as long but like using one day as the lens like we can interpret all of it through day one and the menorah or we could interpret it through day five and the the priestly sacrifices which when we get to that you'll see there's a lot of sevens in there and um so yeah this whole thing there's so much interconnection here like uh, please don't get overwhelmed like this is just there's a lot of cool directions you can go none of them are really wrong um but yeah, that's another good thing to point out. There is so much intentional interconnectedness here. Um, but to go back to the image, you know, again, without getting too caught up in the details, we have this, this, you know, lampstand. I'm, I'm sure probably, you know, most people listening to this have a vague picture in their head of a menorah, you know, a candle stand with three branches coming out of each side. You got seven on top. Um, what What is the the general image of this whole thing kind of feels like a tree. Yeah. We got tree imagery and what, what is, uh, what is maybe different between this golden tree? And maybe if I was just going to like, if I, if I, let's just say I was a metallurgist and I wanted to make a little golden tree, like what's the difference between any old golden tree and this golden tree looking thing? It's got lamps on top of it. It's got lamps on top of it. So, and specifically, like, what are those lamps doing? It's giving light. Oh, where does it say? Versus, like, maybe a regular tree is going to give shade, but this tree is going to give light. And that's kind of anti. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. We could could even go into a whole date. We could even go into a whole Genesis 3 thing there. Sure. Make it seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. Yes. Um, So what is what is giving light man i'm I'm trying not to be too too demanding here but like (laughs) let's get really specific so there's the oil there's the wick and then light is being produced what's the process that creates the light ah well like you're having you're having to actually light the wicks like it talks about the wicks and the sure sure the wick trimmers and the the fire itself yes the fire itself The, the fire itself now when you think about 
uh, a little tree-like plant branches going out and there's fire on it oh my gosh what does that make the you think of bush. the burning bush yeah and where was the burning bush again uh in in the desert by by a mountain right on a mountain on a mountain it was on a mountain i believe yeah it was on a mountain a very important mountain yeah it was it was mount sinai i should have just went with that originally i'm like he doesn't want me to do the sinai connection so i was like ah, that's not what he's talking about. <laughs> no no it's it's the sinai connection you overthinking it again gosh dang it yeah don't overthink it yeah this is i mean i'm sure we could go we, we could make this the tree of life we could you know we could go all sorts of directions with this but if we look at this and we say like oh okay this is a organic bush thing and it's on fire and just like the bush it, it isn't consumed but it's on fire and uh then we have that mixed with you know god's presence and all this stuff and it's to me that mm, mm, that's a that's a tasty little gumbo there that uh that works so but what do we do with that i mean like okay we we got to the we got to the big climax oh we found the light from day one here at the end of exodus 25 what does that what does that do for us? Sorry, I'm just, I'm just looking at Exodus 3 to verify that this burning bush was actually <laughs> on the mountain. I don't know that it was on the mountain. It was at the mountain, which I didn't realize that either, actually. Well, tell, what's the sign of the bush? God gives Moses a sign. Uh, that it doesn't burn up? No, it's a little bit after that. Moses is kind of pushing back against God. Oh, quite a bit after that. Um he has him put his hand in, puts, he throws a staff on the ground, he puts his hand inside his cloak. Is that what you're going for? Nope. <laughs> God says, the sign I'm going to give to you is that you're going to come back to this mountain. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. worship here. Oh, snap. He was answering you. I thought he was ignoring you, Brent, but he was actually, whoa, snap, mic drop, gotcha. <laughs> Boom. And... Where is Moses right now when God is telling him all this? Ah, oh, gosh, dang it, bossy <laughs> man! He's on the mountain. It's, he's living the sign oh, that gee, God gave him. Yeah, yep, yep. You might need some new co-hosts. <laughs> <laughs> there was something else you mentioned earlier, Brent, about how the the uh, lamp gives light to uh, what's in front of it, where I think literally in Hebrew it says toward its face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What? I mean, first of all, like, that kind of a... Does that strike anyone else as a little obvious? Like, oh, wow, the lamp lights up the thing in front of it? That's... Yeah, why why would you need to say that? I really needed God to tell Moses that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, what is he expecting Moses to do? Yeah. Like, oh, I got to make sure to tell him, like, this is to light up what's in front of it. Like, is he going to put a, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, to solve this, we're going to have to go back to our, our word of the episode, uh, Tavnit. Remember Tavnit? Those of you who, who, uh, remembered the word Tavnit can go have a snack now. Um, and, uh, does, do you remember what the word Tavnit meant? The pattern word that Brent was asking about. Pattern, yes. And where did we hear pattern the second time? The very end of the passage. The very, very end. The very last verse. See? Yep. Oh, there we go. Look at that. See and make according to the Tavnit that you are shown or saw on the mountain. We have the word saw there twice, two times. God really wants him looking. Huh. And not just... 
looking at what's in front of him, he's reminding him to remember what he saw on the mountain. Mm -hmm. So this lamp is supposed to be to remind him of what he saw on the mountain. And it also is going to be reminding him of the burning bush that he found near Sinai or on Sinai undetermined (laughs) um, that was promising him that he would come to this moment. Mm -hmm. So if we've gotten to this point where I, you know, jumping back into that day one mindset, I'm starting in darkness and chaos, but because God's been there for me, I've, I, I remember my story. I have these testimonies. So I know God's presence is there. And when I know God's presence is there, that's nourishing for me. And now what does that lamp do? It takes that nourishment. And what does it do? It shines light toward wherever its face is looking, Mm -hmm. which for me, what, what that tells me is that when, when I am out in the world, I I'm nourished I'm I'm good. I I know God's with me, so I'm good. And whatever I'm looking at, what kind of light am I casting toward it? A- am I doing, you know, we, we talked about why did God have to say this? Well, God does have to say it to us because we can receive that light and forget to be what we saw on the mountain. God said it twice. The uh the lamp is supposed to, we are supposed to remember what it looks like. We're supposed to remember what that burning bush looked like so that when we leave Sinai and come back down, our faces look like the burning bush. We, we can bring Sinai to other people and say, Hey, maybe you are just a runaway, uh, slave. Maybe you're a guy who just, uh, you know, murdered a slave master and are wandering in the desert and all that. You're going to come back here one day and you're going to see God like that, that idea of both representing what God's presence is like on the mountain. And also that at the same time, representing a promise that that person who you're looking at, who you're shedding light toward, that they can also meet God, that they can also partner with God. That is what we're being called to here. And that's why Tavnit is the most important word here. At the very beginning of the chapter, God says everything needs to be made according to this Tavnit, according to this pattern, built in this way. Tavnit, Tavnit, it refers to like building. We are supposed to build what God shows us on Sinai. Like, I mean, we should be hearing kingdom talk here. Like, we witness kingdom. We uh, receive nourishment from God's presence. And we could just go about our lives, but we're supposed to take that light and not just light our own path, but, but use that light to bring Sinai, to bring God's presence to other people, to help them gain that kind of relationship of truth, of understanding like, oh, like, I mean, let's just think about this practically. Like when we go to other people and we reveal the truth of like, Hey, you, you weren't meant to just work and be productive you're, you're, you're worthwhile and valuable on your own. That's helping them be in a more truthful relationship with themselves and the world. Right? Like that's, that's rebuilding Sinai. That's, that's giving people the light of that lamp. So, yeah. And I was channeling my Brian David 
that whole time going, so we got a story that starts with something and we got a story that ends with something. Uh, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> and then we got test stories of, see, I wasn't in love with the thing about testimonies. And then you made the lamp Moshe's testimony. Mm-hmm. So we have testimonies on either side and the table of presence in the middle. And I can't, I mean, I, I'm just thinking this out loud. I don't know if there's a chiasm. That's not, I, I can't speak to that. But if there's a chiasm here, it would reinforce your point of, when we have our testimonies intact, mm-hmm. the testimonies of the people, our, our corporate community, the testimonies of myself as an individual, testimonies of our leaders, mm-hmm. we we usher people into the presence of God. That is the light yep. that enables people to find the presence of God in whatever chaotic darkness they might be in. And, and you know what, Marty? You, you picked up on a really good thing that, like, the, the lamp was also Moshe's... Uh, witness but like think about it too what what do we have in the ark again we have bread we have a staff over the almond branch and then we have uh these these testimonies that that are like the the marriage between us and god yep. right yep and then what do we have in we we have bread we have the menorah which it literally says is modeled after almond branches yep Yep. And then we have God's oh, presence right. in that part, in oh, the inner part of yes. that. This, the ark is also a miniature of the whole thing. This is the fractal thing I was talking about. Like inside the ark is also like a representation of the entire tent shrunk down. Yeah. Right now, Brian David is doing his walk through the neighborhood that he talked about on his episode. And he was screaming <laughs> like 10 minutes ago. Almonds, chiasm, chiasm, almonds, and the neighbors are calling the cops. That's exactly what's happening right now. Yeah. So, in in short, I would not be surprised at all if there's uh, some some chiastic uh, stuff going on. Here. Good golly, man, that's great. And the the pattern is like as much about the relationships as it is about the structure itself, if not more than the structure itself. Sure. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. Which is Josh's call, this missional call for us to take testimony. I was thinking of the prophets where it says, uh, one of my favorite verses, is it Hosea or Isaiah? One of, one of, one of my favorite passages is take words with you. Mm. Like mm-hmm. as you go, as you go into and out of captivity, take words with you, take testimonies with you, mm-hmm. take God's word with you. That's what brings light into chaos, into suffering, into struggle, into questions and doubt. That's what brings us into the presence of God when we lack it the most. Yeah, and honestly, yeah, that's what I want to do next is kind of turn more into this, like, incarnational perspective of, like, yeah, that – what are those testimonies? Like, you listening to this, what are those testimonies? What are – is it a physical object? Is it a is it a practice? What is it that actually brings to mind, makes real God's reality? We talked at some point about standing stones, Josh. It, yes. This would be that idea of masavot, standing stones. This would be that idea. But but also, you know, we're we're in a we're in a time where it's like we don't have some of the benefits, like right? You we don't have the same sure. genealogical tradition like my great great granddad's staff with a flower on it. Uh, maybe that didn't make its way to me, you know. Yep. Maybe I don't have that. Um, and that's where I think you know it, a lot of us might just be like, well, I don't know, I don't know what those are. I, like I really don't know what those are. And honestly, like I'm 
there might be people out there who who haven't had as many of those experiences and if they did like maybe there wasn't a convenient way to like summarize it um into something small but yeah, like take time to think about that and, and like if you're really struggling and thinking like okay what is what is a testimony a testimony is something that speaks it is it is god's voice saying let there be light like when when you've had those experiences when you've had an experience of God speaking of that light kind of bursting on you, that moment of epiphany, whatever, whatever it looked like, that moment of peace, find a way to commemorate it, make up a ritual, like whatever it is that can put you in that moment, that can put you in touch with that, that can, those are the words you take with you, the words that speak to you. We, we get too focused on like, you know, the right words or or things like that, like find the words, find the, the tangible things that actually speak to you. That God is there, even in the darkness, even when it's rough. And, and when you, and like what Marty was saying, like when you, when you can preserve those, then the rest of this flows out of that. Then you get to the nourishing part, because once you kind of get a sense of like, okay, what is, what is something, what is an object, what is a, a Bible verse, what is a, a particular spiritual practice or even something ritualistic? Maybe you, maybe you visit someone's grave who is very important to you. Maybe you, you say a specific prayer at a certain time of day. Maybe you, maybe you I don't know, maybe you pick up a leaf off the ground. Like it, 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 it can be anything because God can speak from anywhere. But what is that and how do you actually engage with that in a nourishing way? in a way that like gives you life. Um, maybe those are the same things. Maybe the testimonies are your bread. Maybe one leads to the other, but think about that. What are the tangible things that nourish your spirit? Genuinely, genuinely. And then finally, of course, we get to the, the lamp part, the menorah. How do those things help you show people that moment, that moment of meeting God in the desert. How do you recreate that for them in a moment? And how do you do that with just your, your presence? Like the, the light that just goes out in front of you. Just spend some time thinking about that. But more importantly, this is, there, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And we have to remember that God didn't just create this stuff and, you know, dust off its hands and walk away. He took all these things and then he wove them into a dance, a cycle. So, you know, these aren't, this isn't just like a laundry list of like, Hey, do these three things before the next episode. And I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll be checking your work. Like, no, this, th these are things to help you on the path and, and they need to work in that cycle of light and darkness day and night we spend some time with our testimonies when we're struggling. Then we find something to nourish us so we can have the strength to then go and give that to others and give them light. And then, you know, on and on and on. It, it's not just staying in one place where we have to weave it together. We have to find that restful, intentional rhythm, that intentional relationship. And that that's where like, the, I hope for most of you, this isn't hard. Like this is this, really shouldn't be hard like in a 
in a sense of like, you know, don't be, you know, straining yourself to do this, but it is something that requires some intention to like produce fruit. Yeah. I think of like specifically with the idea of incarnating God's presence for others, God's cycle of just being present in one moment and speaking in the next moment, mm-hmm. like knowing when to speak and when just to be present. Yeah. And it's not hard to speak. It's not hard to, I mean, maybe for some people it's hard not to speak for some people. It is hard to speak, but like those, those <laughs> yeah. two things on their own are not necessarily that difficult, but knowing when to do each of them is the challenge. And and the real key is like it, there's a level of this, that like, yeah, it requires some soul searching, but at the end of the day, it's pretty simple because like whatever God has said to you that gave you light and life, that'll, that'll probably help someone else. Maybe, maybe not everyone, maybe not in their specific situation, but that's, that's what you share. You don't have to, you don't have to come up with some brilliant rethinking of it. Like you just, you just have to follow the, the thing that speaks to you. You have to, you just have to listen. And like, I like to use a, an example from my, my own life. Like I remember there was uh, this this one moment where I was really wrestling with some stuff. I won't go into it, but it was the the, the part of the story where um, after Yaakov wrestles with the angel and he gets a new name, Israel, and then a couple, I'm not sure if it's a chapter or a couple chapters later, God comes back and calls Yaakov by his new name. And it's a little strange because it's like, okay, wait, he was already renamed. Like, what's this double renaming thing? And this God just spoke out of it. And God's like, I like, I care enough about everything about you that I would come down to earth just to say your name in your presence. Like just to, just to name you. Like, that's not some bureaucratic, like, oh, we got to update Josh's heavenly form to have this new name. It's like, no, I would visit you just to call you this new name. And that, that spoke to me. I don't know if that'll speak to others right now, but I know that for myself, when I'm with people that are struggling, I think about that and I think, okay, what, how can I just, how can I just name who they are or what they're going through and just, just be there and show up and and show them that I'm, I want to be there just to see who they are, just to impart their name to them. That's something that like, I I haven't had to, you know, like I do a lot of analysis and stuff for the text, but I I didn't have to analyze that. That was just something that spoke and I had to listen to it. And then I had to keep listening to it. And that's, that's really all it takes. Okay. So to close Josh, I I would like to read, I'm going to read the notes you have in this document in front of us. Okay, great. Just to review these four things that you you talked about because you, you said them, but I think the application is so good. I want to just concisely review them one more time. You talked about testimonies, you talked about bread, you talked about lamp, and you talked about the dance. You said testimonies. What are the physical objects or practices that remind you of the felt reality of God's presence, even in times of darkness? You asked a question about bread. What tangible actions, spaces, or objects genuinely nourish your spirit? These are great reflection questions. Lamp. How are you turning these personal spiritual tools outward 
incarnating God's, I mean, you just gave us an example of that. You had an experience, you had a testimony, it nourished your soul, mm-hmm. and now you're turning that outward, Josh, to hopefully be a nourishment to others. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the dance. How can these things be woven together into a natural, restful, intentional relationship? How can these things be this breathing in and out this, I, I just thought those were excellent reflection points and Thank you. wanted to reiterate those one last time. Yeah. And remember like that, this is what every day is going to be about. Like listening to God speak, trusting in that, like keeping those things precious, finding life in that, and then, and then passing that life on. Goodness. This is very like uh, impact campus ministry, special sauce right now. <laughs> this is good. Oh, Marty. My brain is too full for you to say that phrase right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We got to get out of here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I apparently need to go read some more uh, Moses history because I I had definitely fuzzed away a lot of the details of that story. So <laughs> I got to do some review and uh, attempt to be ready for our next episode. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, But like I said, we will try to get a presentation together with some stuff. Um, So I guess check that out and find out what we came up with. Um, But you can find all that at uh, bamondeception.com. You guys know how to get hold of us. Let's just close it out. Thanks for joining us on the Bamond podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.